0: Today on Ag News Daily,
1: growers not only do a tremendous service to the world by removing carbon from the atmosphere, they store it in a place where they can do a tremendous amount of good
0: in the soil. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Tech Tuesday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined once again by our summer intern, Madison Honkamp. Madison, you are getting ready to head back to school.
2: Yes, I am. It's been kind of crazy. I took some stuff up to Ames last night. I've been packing really all week, all weekend. And it's, it's hard. And are we excited about going back to school? Yes, I'm very excited. But it's like, it's hard to pack everything that I need for living in an apartment because I lived in a dorm last year.
0: Mm, Yes.
2: So I have like all the kitchen stuff and it's just... It's been a hassle, I'll say that.
0: Well, we are going to be sad to see you leave. Hopefully, you can still stick around and do some stuff with the podcast, but we got to get a good final week out of you here.
2: Yes, definitely. Definitely.
0: Madison, as you looked through the news today, what were some titles or headlines jumping out at you?
2: Well, one I just have this quick one to start off with. It's kind of goofy, more of a Friday piece, but I thought it'd be good for a Tech Tuesday. But a self-described pirate invaded the government for years and built a massive illicit fishing empire has now been banned from U.S. fisheries. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration had announced on Monday, and he called himself the Cod Father. And has been sentenced to prison for for mislabeling Hmm. his catch to skirt quotas and smuggling assets out of the country. The Codfather, huh? The Codfather, yeah. That's what kind of caught me.
0: Interesting.
2: Yes, definitely. But do you have any more serious news for today, Deline?
0: Yes, I do have some serious news, Madison. Um, the big headline that jumped out at me today was on the animal health care side of things, Elanco is buying Bear Animal Health. And we knew, we've heard some rumors that they were having some talks about potentially a merger, an acquisition, or a buyout there. And it sounds like Elanco will become the second largest animal health care company following their acquisition here of Bear's animal health business, in a $7.6 billion deal, which was announced just today on Tuesday by both companies, Elenco said that their purchase of the company, 70% of that is funded through cash, and the remaining 30% of that is going to be made up from Olenco stock. And they're saying that it's going to double their pet business and strengthen their cattle portfolio, And are very excited about the acquisition there. They said they're hoping to have it all wrapped up by about December of this year, which seems pretty quick. But uh, they're very excited to move forward into the future with this. And it'll be interesting to see what they roll out as those two merge and work together.
2: Yes, it definitely will be to kind of watch how that all works out for them.
0: Yes it will. I, okay and since we're kind of talking about some strange news today, mm-hmm. this also came across my email inbox today and I think it debunks what actually I thought about cooking. Madison, do you mm-hmm. wash your chicken? Do you wash like your poultry or chicken before you cook with it?
2: Yeah, I like rinse it with like, right. hot water. That's yeah. what
0: I thought was the correct thing to do, but the USDA released a study today saying that individuals are putting themselves in more risk of illness when they wash or rinse raw poultry. I thought that was super strange. They said um, public health implications of these findings should be a concern to everyone, even when consumers think they are effectively cleaning and washing their poultry. This study shows that bacteria can easily spread to other surfaces and foods. And they said the best practice is to not wash your poultry.
2: Hmm. That's okay, kind of makes sense but it's still kind of weird.
0: Yeah, so to think right. So part of their study, I guess, they said um they said significantly decrease your risk by preparing food that will not be cooked such as vegetables and salads before handling it preparing raw meat and poultry so they they said of the participants who washed their raw their raw poultry 60% had bacteria in their sink after washing or rinsing the poultry. And even more concerning is that 14% still had bacteria in their sinks after they attempted to clean their sinks. So they're saying that, I guess, bacteria is getting spread that way from being in your sinks.
2: Oh, okay. And
0: that it gets transferred from raw poultry to salad and lettuce and other vegetables. Mm -hmm. So they said you need to wash or sanitize any surface that has touched or been touched by raw meat or their juices.
2: Okay, that kind of makes sense then, because I guess, yeah, the water would spread it, but that's weird that they still found it even after cleaning it.
0: Yes, so I guess, right, don't leave anything in your sink, because that's be yeah. definitely not clean, but yeah, it sounds like mm, maybe don't wash your raw poultry either.
2: Okay, well,
0: I will have to get
2: used to doing that. (laughs) I know, I I feel
0: like I still will do it just out of (laughs) habit, but...
2: Yeah, I've always had my mom, like, in my ear, don't forget to rinse the chicken or the roast or really any raw meat that we use to cook with.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I don't think people will buy into that very much, but that's what the USDA is saying.
2: Hmm. Well, that's interesting to find out. But another interesting thing that I found today, Delaney, um, is the 2020 Democrats are actually struggling to win over rural voters. They're kind of avoiding topics pertaining to agriculture and rural issues um, during debates. And one article that I found today, the they found that the word rural was uttered just 10 times in more than 10 hours on stage during a debate and that kind of seems crazy that it was only 10 times when that has been a huge topic especially for this upcoming election
0: oh yeah absolutely Mm 10 times is really not very much
2: no especially that's once you know an hour and um but it'll be interesting to see if they are able to win over some of that those rural voters and that support um, but it doesn't look like they have y- quite yet, so.
0: Yeah, I would say probably not quite yet.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: And one of the issues that some of them, actually I would say most of them really haven't touched on yet, at least from when I was seeing them mm-hmm. at the Iowa State Fair, has been the trade negotiations with the U.S. and China and it seems that Ambassador Branstead, who has been back in the U.S. for a couple weeks now, had a private meeting with President Trump on Monday. There's really no trickle of what they were discussing, although I'm sure we can assume they were talking about U.S.-Chinese negotiations. But there's been no recordings of the meetings, no handouts. Um, but Senator Joni Ernst did tell reporters over the weekend that Branstad planned to talk to the president about those ongoing trade relationships the protests in Hong Kong, and the biofuel usage exemptions such as those small refiner waivers that the EPA has been doling out because he is, of course, the former governor of Iowa, and that's been very important to corn producers in the Midwest.
2: Yes, it definitely has been. And I I wonder if nobody really wants to comment on it because we just don't really know where where it's all going to go.
0: Yeah, I don't know, Madison. So
2: they don't want to say something and then have it backfire. Mm
0: -hmm, Absolutely. Mm
2: -hmm, Definitely. But while we are talking about China, um, uh, this article came... I want to... think it was from Reuters. I'm not sure. My dad actually sent it to me. But some Chinese pig farmers that have actually been able to keep the African swine fever off of their farms since outbreaks did begin a year ago are actually seeing rewards from it. Um, they have had a record of profits of about $200 per head. And soar- really, prices are kind of soaring for pork in China because of they obviously have less supply. But I thought that was very interesting that they are seeing a higher price. Um, farmers are getting more profits over there. So hopefully, maybe... We'll see something else come out. but
0: Yeah, I think, um, oh gosh, I don't even think I'm going to get the number right. I want to say Chinese pork prices have increased 50 or 60% because of Me... African swine fever. That might not even be high enough.
2: I think it's a little bit more than that. But yeah, well, because it has shrank over a third, mm-hmm. I think, the last month. And yes, yeah, so prices are pretty high over there
0: yes so we will see what happens there consolidation is mm-hmm. continuing to go on in their pork industry
2: yes definitely
0: have, haven't quite seen that affected yet in the u.s we saw a little bit of a boom but um yeah that'll be something to continue to watch for sure
2: mm-hmm, definitely but what else do you have for news today Del- madison me?
0: i'm out of news do you have anything else for today i don't all right well with that let's turn it over and check out our markets for today looking down across the screen seeing a lot of red in the grain markets mm-hmm. kicking it off here with the september corn contract losing five and a half cents to close at three fifty-nine and a half. the december down five and three quarters cents and the day at 368 and three quarters over in the soybean pits, a little bit of strength today as the September contract put on a penny and three-quarters at 855 and three-quarters. So November put on a penny and three-quarters as well to close at 868 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the September contract mirroring the corn contract for today, cutting five and a half cents to close at 460. The December sheds six cents to end at 466 and a half. Looking over into the livestock markets, green on the screen for the August live cattle contract up $1.60 to close at one hundred one eighty. The October put on a dollar seventy seven and a half to close right at hundred dollars even. In the feeder cattle pits, the August contract up sixty two and a half cents on the day to close at one thirty six thirty. The September up ninety cents to close at one thirty three seventy two and a half over in the lean hog pits the october contract up six, up 95 cents excuse me to close at 64.97 and a half the december up a dollar 32 to close at 6417 and a half and rounding out with the dairy class 3 markets the august contract shed a penny today to close at 1761 the september shed 10 cents to close at 1768 for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we're going to be talking about carbon sequestration and the Terraton Initiative with Ed Smith from Indigo Ag. For today's Tech Tuesday, we are continuing the conversation about the importance of carbon sequestration with Ed Smith, the VP and head of carbon at Indigo Ag. Ed, Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today.
1: My pleasure. Glad to be here.
0: And I want to start out here with big picture. Tell us why carbon is so important to agriculture, why it should be so important and why there's been so much, I guess, hubbub around the idea of carbon and carbon sequestration.
1: Yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. Carbon Carbon is only um, helpful or not helpful, depending on where it is. And so uh, what we have done over time, being um, the human population at large, what we have done is basically moved carbon around, and it's been extremely helpful. And so like learning how to burn fossil fuels was a tremendous innovation that let us build the society that we have now. Um, but But as we've taken roughly a trillion tons out of fossil fuels and burned it, We've also taken it out of soil and out of plants um, through deforestation and things like that. And we basically put it into our atmosphere and the ocean Um, where it is less helpful for us. It leads to the acidification of our oceans and it also leads to to climate change. And so what we would like to do is um, and what's important is moving it to places where it's more helpful and a place where it's incredibly helpful is agricultural soils. Carbon is the building block of all life. When you see degraded soil and it's a pale brown color um, versus you see healthy soil and it looks more like chocolate cake and it's granulated and there's life in it, the difference in the color between those two uh, is carbon and soil organic carbon levels. And it's why growers talk so much about their soil organic carbon levels. And so through regenerative agriculture, there's the opportunity to have an incredible win-win where... Growers not only do a tremendous service to the world by removing carbon from the atmosphere, they store it in a place where they can do a tremendous amount of good in the soil by leading to better yields, uh, healthier and more nutritious crops, um, better resilience for their farm through resilience through both floods and droughts due to the increased permeability of the water. sorry, the increased water permeability of the soil. So that was a bit of a long answer to your question, but, uh, we see the opportunity for um, moving carbon out of the atmosphere into agricultural soils to be a benefit all around, which is why we want to help incentivize that.
3: Absolutely. And before we get to the incentivization, uh, I want to ask you to define one more term you just used, which was regenerative ag. Ed, can you tell us a little bit about what you mean specifically by that phrase?
1: Sure. So regenerative agriculture, regenerative practices uh, is – I mean, it's, it's really a, a movement and a groundswell within, um, within the farming community around adopting a few different practices. And in the US, and this definition will be largely focused on the US because different countries do have different contexts. But in the US, we think about that as five practices, planting cover crops, no-till, rotating your crops, reducing inputs, and finally incorporating livestock. With those practices, uh, what growers end up doing, why it's called regenerative, is because you end up regenerating the health of the soil. You end up rebuilding back that life that leads to increased productivity and yields overall. And so that's what we mean by regenerative practices.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So when you look at regenerative practices, and you mentioned there, you guys are working to incentivize farmers to use regenerative practices Tell us a little bit about the Terraton Initiative that you guys are trying to start here.
1: Sure. So the Terraton Initiative is um, a global effort to remove 1 trillion tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, put it into our agricultural soils, and thereby enrich our agricultural soils. That's it at the highest level. So break
3: that that down for us. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's where I was going to go. So that's perfect. There are four pieces to that. Um, The first piece is indigo carbon, which is a marketplace that will enable us to quantify how much carbon was taken out of the atmosphere, basically package it in offsets, and sell those offsets to interested buyers. And those could be companies, those could be consumers, those could be um, governments who are interested in being carbon neutral. And there are quite a few of those. Um, and so that's, that, that's the market that helps catalyze the incentives. Um, so that's thing one. The second pillar of the Territon initiative um, is the Territon experiment, which the soil science that we have today um, is fantastic and helpful, but not as deep, like metaphorically and literally as we want it to be. Um, and so the Terraton experiment is going to gather a tremendous amount of data, um, anonymize it, of course, um, but then make it available to research institutions so that we can advance the state of soil science, which we think is beneficial for everyone on the planet, but for growers in particular, farmers in particular. The third piece is the um, teraton challenge, which there just needs to be better technology out there in a variety of ways, but one of them is soil sampling. Like, it would be great if we could go onto farms and then measure soil sample, measure the carbon content of soil right there in the farm, as opposed to having to send uh, a meter core of soil to a lab, which is obviously expensive and error-prone. So the Territon Challenge is designed to spark innovation um, and reward innovation in that in that space and others. And the last piece is the Carbon Cup, which is for farmers. It's a yield competition, basically focused instead on bushels per acre, it's focused on um, total amounts of soil organic carbon and who can increase that the fastest. So, both absolute levels and rate. So, those four pieces are fundamentally what make up Territon Initiative.
3: That is fascinating. And Ed, I think for our listeners, the two pieces that are going to be most impactful on the farm in the short term are the Terraton Challenge and the Cup. Can you talk a little bit about the incentives within the challenge to help drive innovation in the, uh, well, as you mentioned, the soil sampling
1: technology? Sure. I mean, I would also say that the, I'll talk about both those two. But the thing that's probably the most impactful for farmers in your audience is um, in the indigo carbon market, because – If growers adopt regenerative practices, and Indigo is is excited to help them in doing that, as they increase their soil organic carbon levels, they'll be paid directly for that. And so growers farmers can start thinking about their fields, not just growing their cash crop, but also farming carbon, which is an additional revenue stream. Yeah. And so we think it's an additional revenue stream which which every every farmer I've talked to so far has been incredibly interested in. And you know, we've seen examples of actually, you know, people sequestering like four tons of carbon a year. Now, even if you just did two or three tons of carbon, let's just say it's two. Currently, we're pricing that about $15 a ton. That's $30 an acre. The average profitability of farmers in the U.S. right now is under $40 an acre. We're talking about doubling farmer profitability per acre. So so if there's anything I think would be most interesting
0: To your audience, it would be that. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. So walk me through that because I just want to make sure everybody out there is understanding it clearly. Once a grower decides to submit their acres to the indigo carbon challenge, how does it work from there to ensure that they can get their soils, I guess, increasing in carbon dioxide sequestration?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So. Uh, the the mechanism we use for this is a, is a carbon credit or a carbon offset. That basically represents one ton of carbon taken out of the atmosphere and, and put somewhere. You can't see, touch, or feel a carbon credit. And so what makes a carbon credit is the data, the evidence, the proof that you have done that. And so that's the soil sampling and also a series of other uh, pieces of data that we gather from growers. So all farmers need to do is share their data with us and we'll measure their carbon levels over time. And as they hit sufficient levels, we'll basically say, hey, you've created three carbon credits and then we will help them sell those carbon credits. And then we'll get the majority of the proceeds for that. So it's basically sign up, share data, let us come on the farm um, somewhat regularly to gather more information and soil sample and then we will, uh, we will tell you exactly how many credits you are sold and funnel the proceeds back to the farmer. That's fundamentally how it works. That is fascinating.
3: And the way we increase carbon levels are just what you mentioned earlier. When we go through the, the practices of regenerative ag, ag by getting uh, cover crops on, by incorporating livestock, and actually, I want to circle back to that. How does incorporating livestock help sequester more carbon?
1: it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question the basically what we're trying to do is um, replicate the ecosystem of a natural prairie when soil is you know at, at a at very healthy levels and so you know prairies or grasslands they had significant diversity of what was growing in the soil and then they had ruminants grazing on it um, and so by incorporating livestock, you get that really important piece of Having uh, ruminants grazing, helping with the cycle of life and death of the carbon of the of the plants that are growing on that um, on that acreage, and through the natural processes of what they do, you end up uh, significantly increasing the carbon content of the soil
0: and i 've got to say this all seems almost too good to be true from a farmer's perspective. I I guess what is in it for Indigo Ag or what really drove you guys to create this whole initiative?
1: Indigo's mission is to harness nature to help farmers sustainably feed the planet. Um, That is what we've been about since we were founded five years ago. As we have been working with more farmers, getting on more acres, uh, we have seen a subset of growers who are doing really well and basically living the mission that we aspire to. And those are regenerative farmers. And so what we realized was we want to help more and more farmers farm regeneratively. In farming regeneratively, you take your soil from being degraded to rehabilitate it, um, full of life. And so in doing that, you increase the soil organic carbon levels. So frankly, indigo carbon is the way to create the financial incentive for growers to adopt those practices. And so what's in it for us is basically aspiring to and living up to our, our mission. But we realise, and you said it's too good to be true, adopting these practices are not it's not easy and it's not cheap. Which is why we need to help farmers adopt these practices, not only with the financial incentives of Indigo Carbon, but also with the advice from our agronomy team, because um, it's hard to do this, right? It's, 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 it's tough to figure out, and how you apply it differs somewhat uniquely to each farmer and their land and how they're farmed in the past and um, their, soil, their soil and their climate. I mean, it's, it's pretty tricky, so I don't mean to say it as being easy. I think in the the idea is inspiring and compelling, um, but the putting it into place, there's a lot of details and nuance and, and thorny problems. But if there's anything that your audience takes away from this, I hope it's that Indigo is excited to help them do that. We're ready to roll up our sleeves and do it right alongside them.
3: So Ed, fill us in for our listeners who are interested. They do want to get engaged. Where should they be going to get some more information?
1: Uh, head to indigoagcom backslash Uh There's a there's a site right there. There's a right at the top. It says for growers. Click there. Um, let us know your contact information, and we will reach out to you to tell you how you can get involved. That's really the easiest
3: way to do it. Fantastic. Well, Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate you filling us in and and fixing some of our, uh, our preconceptions about this program. We
1: wish you the best of luck. My pleasure. Thanks so much for giving me the time.
2: All right. Huge thanks to Ed there kind of chatting us through what they are doing at Indigo Ag to really help the carbon levels in the soil and all of that.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to be continuing that discussion. That's been a really hot topic right now in agriculture. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple other folks that will be uh, be filling us in on that later on in this weekend to next week. So folks, do stay tuned. You can connect with us on social media and watch for when we drop each day's episode at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can always find any of our past episodes, globalagnetwork.com slash Daily. Madison, with that, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let him go.